Ezekiel 13, verses 1 through 16. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel, who are prophesying, and say to those who prophesy to those from their own hearts, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel, that it might stand in battle in the day of the Lord. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord, when the Lord has not sent them, and yet they expect Him to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination? Whenever you have said, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God, precisely because they have misled my people, saying peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash, Say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain, and you, O great hailstones, will fall, and a stormy wind break out. And when the wind falls, will it not be said to you, Where is the coating with which you smeared it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger, and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus will I spend my wrath upon the wall and upon those who have smeared it with whitewash. And I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who smeared it. The prophets of Israel who prophesied concerning Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the Lord God. If you remember where we were last week when we met together, we were looking at the fact that they were false prophets, not only in Jerusalem, but also in Babylon. And we're going to go into a little bit more detail tonight. Here, Ezekiel goes into more detail in his speaking against the false prophets, both in Jerusalem and in Babylon. God describes them in a very interesting way. He describes these false prophets, you see there in uh, verse number four, your prophets have been like jackals among ruins. Jackals, if you know anything about jackals, are, are animals that take advantage of someone else's work. When someone else has done the work, the jackals come in afterwards. And oh, by the way, when the jackals come in afterwards, are they looking to help the people around, or are they looking to their own advantage and what they can get out of it? And that's exactly what the false prophets were doing in the midst of this judgment of God, in the midst of the fact that God was doing a work and remember, the purposes of judgment are twofold. And if, some of you might remember, we taught on this a few weeks ago. The two purposes of judgment, or two main purposes of judgment, is to bring destruction or what? Repentance or purification. And God was doing a work in bringing this judgment on the nation of Israel. But as He was doing it for the purposes of repentance and purification, which ultimately, because of their rejection of His purpose, became destruction, while this was going on, the jackals or the false prophets came in and they took advantage of what someone else was doing and they sought what they could get out of it. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about tonight. You see, the reason prophets, the prophets would prophesy peace when there is no peace is because they're seeking the approval of man. 
And they do this by falsely making people feel better. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I'll kind of begin to explain what I mean by this. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and look at verses 1 through 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, Paul says to Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Hear what Paul was saying. He said to Timothy, you need to be faithful to preach the word of God. Preach the whole word of God. Realize Jesus is watching and he's coming and he's going to judge the living and the dead. And with that in mind, you need to preach the word of God. And that means you need to, when it rebukes, you need to rebuke. When it reproves, you need to reprove. When it's to exhort, it's to exhort. But you need to preach the whole word of God. Because as we get closer to the end, there will be people who will not want to hear negative stuff. And so they'll look for teachers and preachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. So if there are people out there who are saying, look, don't talk about the bad stuff. We just want to think about positive and the good and everything's going to be fine. And they're wanting to hear that. There will be, listen closely, jackals who will arise who will say, well, if I tell them what they want to hear, they'll be good to me. And the jackals, the false prophets, and that's happening in our day. We'll get to that later in our study tonight. The false prophets show up and they will tell what the people want to hear so they can get the approval of the people. They're really in it for themselves. Feel good preachers who make people feel good instead of preaching them about what is to or preparing them for what is to come actually are in it for themselves, not the people they preach to. Because if they were really wanting to be in it for the people they preach to, what would they tell them? The truth. Go to Jude. We'll get verses 11 through 16. The book of Jude, verses 11 through 16. We're in the middle, I'm going to jump right in the middle of Jude talking about these false preachers and how to watch out for them. And in the midst of him describing them, in verse 11, he says this. He says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs in, at your love feasts as they feast with, with you without fear. Shepherds feeding only themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These false prophets are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to do what? To gain advantage. They're in it for themselves. Folks, if you 
don't discipline your children because you quote unquote love them. You actually don't discipline your children because you love yourself. You want your kids to like you all the time and you don't give them what they need and point them in the direction they should go and you do it because I love my kids. No, you're really doing it because you love yourself. And false preachers in this day that don't teach the whole of the scriptures, all that God has said, and only focus on the good, only focus on the positive, are actually jackals who are in it for their own good. And God said to them, I know what you're doing and I know why you do it. And we all, every one of us who preach and teach the word of God, need to allow the spirit of God to help us examine our motives. The spirit of God will show us whether or not we're in it for the approval of man or we're in it for the approval of God. And trust me, it is a hard struggle. One of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with in ministry is my fear of man. You say, Jim, you don't have a fear of man. Oh, you have no idea how much I have a fear of man. When all my years as pastor, whenever God would bring me to a church, most of the time as I became pastor, it was a church that was struggling and knew they were struggling. And it was easy for me to come in and say, okay, well, this is what the Word of God says, and this is what we're going to do. And I would come in, and a lot of times I would say, new sheriff in town, and here's how we're going to do it. But once the church started to grow, and once the church started to get a little more healthy, and once people started to see bodies in the pews and money in the budget and everything that they were looking for as church, it was hard to continue to lead and say, okay, here's what we're going to do now because God wants us to go in this direction because the people were happy. And I found myself not wanting to rock the boat. Oh, it's easy to come in when the people are saying, help. But once they're saying everything's good, and then God says, you need to still make more changes, it was hard. As I'll be honest with you, I want you to like me. But ultimately, I'm not going to stand before you all. I'm going to stand before God. And so one of the biggest problems preachers today have is a fear of man. Look at these words in these descriptions that in verse 12 says they're hidden reefs at your love feast. Those of you who know anything about sailing, uh, the hidden reef does damage. Some of your translations might call them stains. That word could be translated stain as well. Uh, and it's a blemish on the love feasts. And their love feasts were that's when their church would get together to have the Lord's Supper and enjoy each other's company. And they look good among you, but actually they do damage is what he was saying. But they described as shepherds who do what? Feed only themselves. Has the appearance of being there for the flock, but they're really in it for themselves. And folks, trust me, and I don't, we don't need to name names. If you've been a Christian long enough, you've run into many over the years, pastors, who are really only in it for themselves. These are the ones who like their name on the church sign. They like their name out on the billboard and on the church bus. They're waterless clouds. In other words, if you're really wanting some rain and the cloud comes, you get pretty excited, don't you? But then as it says here in the scripture, swept along by the winds, but it actually didn't give you what you hoped for. It looked like it was going to, but it didn't produce Fruitless trees in late autumn, the time when you're supposed to be harvesting, but you go there and there's nothing. And as we saw at the end of this section there at the end of verse 16, they show favoritism to gain advantage. Going back to Ezekiel chapter 13, look at verse 9. Because the prophets prophesied from their own hearts and not from what God has said, even though they added the words, thus says the Lord, and we're going to get into that later at the end of our study tonight. 
Because these prophets prophesied from their own hearts and not from what God had said, even though they added the words, thus says the Lord, God promised here three forms of judgment on these false prophets. Look at verse 9. He says, My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. Here's the first judgment that he says. They shall not be in the counsel of my people. In other words, they're not going to be in leadership. They may think they're leading. They may think they're going to be in the, the group of important decision makers, if you will, amongst my people. God says, I'll make sure that when push comes to shove, when time comes, they're not going to lead my people. But there's more to it than that. The second thing he brings out here in the verse, nor will they be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel. And we're going to take a little time to break this down because there's something kind of interesting here. There's a twofold promise here from God about these false prophets. The first one I want you to see in Ezra chapter 2. Put a bookmark here in Ezekiel 13 and go with me back to Ezra chapter 2. In Ezra chapter 2, we're going to read verse 1 and then we're going to jump to verse 59. In Ezra chapter 2, if some of your Bibles or study Bibles will have a little heading above it. What does it say in the little heading above chapter 2? The exiles return, right? This, right, as you're going to see, is a listing of the names of all the exiles that were in Babylon who actually came back to the land of Israel after their captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia, they returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. So here it says, here's what you're going to read, is the listing of the people that actually came back into the land. Now, we're not going to take the time. As you start seeing, it starts listing the names and how many from each family were coming. Jump down to verse 59. It says, The following were those who came up from Tel Mela, Tel Harsha, Cherub, Adon, and Immer, though they could not prove their father's houses or their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. The sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, and the sons of Nakoda, 652. Also of the sons of the priests, the sons of Habiah, the sons of Hakaz, and the sons of Barzillai, who had taken a wife from the daughters of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and was called by their name. These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but they were not found there, and so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them they weren't to eat or not to partake of the most holy food until there should be a priest to consult the Urim and Thummim. There were those who came back who said, we're of Israel, and they couldn't find their lineage and their heritage, and they weren't allowed to be considered a part until a priest would come and cast the Urim and Thummim to determine whether or not God said yes or no to these individuals. But now, what I want you to see here, this isn't referring to these, in, these false prophets, because you're going to see in just a second, the false prophets don't even make it to the group that comes back to Israel. But it's a serious thing to not be considered in the register of the people of Israel because God kept track. I mean, you do realize the Bible says every word of this whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is God breathed. So it's no accident that God would take all of chapter two, pretty much, to deal with listing all the people who came back at that time and their names and how many. That's the kind of the stuff when we're reading through the Bible, we get to it and we go, whew, forget it, you know, and just go on to the next. But it's here for a reason. And I'm going to show you something else kind of cool. Jump with me over to the book of Nehemiah. Very next book, Nehemiah, chapter 7. You're going to find that in chapter 7, you find almost the exact same account. 
In Nehemiah chapter 7, we're going to jump into verses 5 and 6, and then we're going to jump over to verses 61 through 65. It says, Then my God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy, and I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it. These were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity, out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his, own, to his town. That sound familiar? It's almost word for word what we read in Ezra, chapter 2, verse 1. Jump over to verse 61. The following were those who came up from Tel Malah, Tel Harsha, Cherub, Adon, and Immer, but they couldn't prove their father's houses nor descent, whether they belonged to Israel, the sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nicoda, 642. Also the priests, the sons of Hobiah, the sons of Hakaz, the son of Barzillai, who had taken a wife, the daughters of Barzillai, the Gileadite, who was called by their name. These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but it was not found there, so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were to not partake of the most holy food until the priest with Urim and Thummim should arise. Twice now we see recorded here. Once in Ezra and once in Nehemiah now, in the rebuilding of the, cities of the city of Jerusalem and the walls and the temple and all that was going on during those days when they came out of the captivity that we're studying their being in right now, they recorded every single one who came back and what family where they were from and all that. Yet there were some that they couldn't prove their descent and they had to go through a vetting process before they could get in. Don't get me started on that. But they, they had to go through a vetting process before they could even be considered as a part of the people of Israel. It was a serious thing to God that they be considered an Israelite. Anybody have any idea why? Purity of the bloodline, the chosen people, and by the way, all the way through its history, God has been keeping track of who his people in the nation of Israel are. We even see in Romans chapter 11 that Paul remembered when Elijah said, hey, I'm the only one left. And God says, no, 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 I've got 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. He knew who was his. And all through, he has had a remnant that he has been keeping by grace. He keeps track of the Jews. Why? Because in the very end, as you hopefully understand, they are going to be the centerpiece of what goes on in the world, on the world stage. The Bible says in Zechariah that God's going to make Jerusalem a trembling cup for the whole world. And it's going to just tear the whole world up because of what he's going to be doing in Jerusalem and in the nation of Israel. As he gathers his people back and brings them back to the land and sets up his kingdom there. God has been keeping track of all the people have said for all these years because of the prophecies talk about how so many from this tribe are going to be here and so many from that tribe and so on. And they're like, well, how are we going to know? They've been so scattered intermittently. You know what? We can do DNA testing now, can we not? I think God knows how to do that as well. And there is going to be a pure bloodline of the nation of Israel that he's been keeping track of all along. And God said to these guys, oh, by the way, you won't be counted in it. You think you're going to be a leader amongst my people? You won't even be allowed in the council of my people. Oh, and on top of that, you're not even going to be counted amongst the genealogy. And it goes even deeper than that. Go to Psalm 69. Look at verses 17 through 28. Listen closely and tell me who you think this prophecy is speaking about and referring to at the beginning. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. 
Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. This is Jesus. Let their own table before them become a snare. And when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let their, your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be, be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. For they persecute him whom you have struck down. And they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Jesus, this, of course, David is writing, but the Spirit of God is prophesying through him about what Jesus was going to go through as the Lord struck him, as it says here. And he says, may they be blotted out of the book of the living. May they be put to death. And may they not be enrolled among the righteous. Well, what does it mean enrolled among the righteous? We'll go real quickly to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, look at verses 16 through 18. By the way, I hope you remember from our, where we ended up last week. Jesus said, everything written about me in the law and the prophets and what? And the Psalms. We're going to come back to Psalm later on just a little bit. There's some prophecy in the psalm that's still yet to be fulfilled. I can't wait to read it to you. But look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. It says, those who feared the Lord spoke together, and God wrote their names down, and he said, These are gonna be, those are going to be mine when I make up my treasured possession. God not only said, hey, you guys want to be leaders in Israel? I'm not going to let you lead my people. On top of that, you won't even be counted in the genealogy. Oh, and on top of that, oh, we go to our third part of verse 9. Go back to Ezekiel 13, look at verse 9. He then says, let me read verse 9 again. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. So were these false prophets in that group who couldn't prove their gene genealogy in Ezra chapter 2 and, and, and uh, Nehemiah 7? No. Those were people that made it back into the land. And they had to try to prove their genealogy and they had to wait till the priest came with the Urim and the Thummim. These are guys that he said won't even make it back to Israel. And not just will they not make it back to Israel. They will be killed in their captivity or in the being taken captivity. That also means what? For the future. Remember, he's going to be taking the Jews from all time that have been given righteousness through faith. And he's going to be making up a nation of Israel during the millennial kingdom, is he not? 
Remember how Daniel was told, you're going to go to sleep with your fathers, but you're going to rise at the, end, at the end of the tribulation period when the Old Testament saints are going to get their new bodies at their resurrection and they're going to get to enter into the kingdom? Remember Jesus said, you're going to sit at a table with me in the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Remember how the Bible talks about how God has been keeping track of all the Jews from all time that he says are my treasured possession when I make up my treasured possession? He says, oh, you think it's bad that you won't be able to go back to Israel? <laughs> you still don't get it. One day, even those who are of Jew Jewish heritage who die, because of their faith and me giving them righteousness, because of their faith in my word and my provision, there's going to be a day when they come back to life and dwell in that land with me, and you won't be a part of it. Sounds pretty serious then, that whenever we say, thus says the Lord, we better be pretty sure it's what the Lord said, don't you think? Remember, this all came about because he said, because you have been saying, thus says the Lord, but you're speaking out of your own heart and I didn't send you. That's why we don't need to worry about all these false preachers out there today. God will take care of them. I've wrestled with, should I name names? Because a lot of people would say, Jim, just tell us who they are so we'll avoid them. But you know what? All through the scripture, I find it very rare that Paul ever did or Jude ever did name the names. He said, watch out for them, and here's what they're going to look like, and here's what they're going to do. But he was trusting in the Spirit of God within each of the people to be able to recognize this isn't truth. This is not truth. Sounds good. Makes me feel good in my flesh, but it doesn't match up with the Word of God. And folks, every one of us, and those of you that are listening right now online all around the country, and praise God, we have a thing that actually shows us where all over the world, actually, people are listening in to Just a Preacher Ministries, and it will blow your mind to see what parts of the globe are listening to these Bible studies. Everyone that is listening, listen closely. If you have Jesus Christ within you, He will show you the truth. And you're going to have to wrestle with whether or not you want to believe what God has said and His Spirit is showing you, or wrestle with what you want to believe in your flesh, because there are going to be some decisions you may have to make when friends and family actually go against the Word of God and convince themselves that God's okay with it, and you're going to have to take a stand sometimes for truth and it may divide families. What are you going to do when it comes push to shove? This not going into the land of Israel, like I said, is a big deal. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Ezekiel chapter 20. Look at verses 33 through 38. Ezekiel chapter 20, starting in verse 3. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with the wrath poured out, I will be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out from the countries where you are scattered. And with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, and I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples. And there I will enter into judgment with you face to face as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod. By the way, he's speaking to the nation of Israel. He's speaking to Jews here. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me, I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord God. At the end of the tribulation period, as he gathers them from all the, the scattering that goes on during that time period, 
He's going to bring them, and he's going to have them all pass under the rod, and the shepherd's going to say, this one goes into the kingdom, this one doesn't. This one goes into Israel, this one doesn't. But look at the awesome part of the promise, though, coming up in verse 39. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go serve every one of you his idols now and hereafter. If you will not listen to me, but my holy name you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols. In other words, you want to go ahead and do that? Go right ahead. I'm paying attention. For on my holy mountain, the mountain height of Israel, declares the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them shall serve me in the land. There I will accept them, and I, there I will require your contributions and the choicest of your gifts with all your sacred offerings. As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered. And I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves, and you shall loathe yourselves for all the evils that you have committed. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. Isn't that cool? He says, I'm going to bring you back into this land. But if you want to go ahead and worship your false gods and follow them, go right ahead. But I'm keeping track. And those who I decree are not worthy will not enter, will not enter the land. Go to Psalm 37. Remember, some of you, I told you a while back as we began the first of this year, to, I encourage you to just begin to look at Psalm 37 and just meditate on this whole psalm. We're not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to jump a few verses in it. But as our family was doing this and just preparing for 2017, because I really felt like Psalm 37 would really, as you got the whole chapter in your heart, would get you ready to, to live in this coming year, there were some things that jumped off the page at me. I remember doing a Bible study with our family and each of my kids individually as we got some time alone. And I'd say, what are some things God showed you in Psalm 37? Because I had challenged them to study it and meditate on it as well. And it was so cool to see the stuff that God was showing my kids, things that I hadn't even seen. And, but these are some of the things that jumped out at me. Look at Psalm 37, verses 9 through 11. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall what? Inherit the land. Look at verse 10. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, there he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Jump down to verse 22. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Look at verse 29. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. 34, wait for the Lord who, and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land, and you will look on when the wicked are cut off. Folks, I don't know if you caught this yet or not. This is literal. That's why when Jesus preached in the Beatitudes and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall not yet. No, that's the meek. Meek shall inherit there. Remember the poor in spirit? Remember? Keep going. They shall, no, no. pure in heart will see God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Blessed are those who seek righteousness and hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Folks, listen closely. When he's talking about the land, he's talking about the land of Israel for the Jews. 
but it also carries over to us who have been given righteousness and grafted into that plan that he's had for Israel all along. Us Gentiles, we will be given the earth. Remember back in the garden when God made everything and he gave dominion to Adam and Eve and he said, you're in charge. You've got dominion. Of course, because of their sin, they handed dominion over to Satan. But there will be a day when the prince of this world and the ruler of this world will no longer be in power. And Jesus will defeat him. He's already defeated him at the cross. He's just waiting for the final whistle to blow. I mean, the game's over, but they're just waiting for the clock to tick down. And when he's thrown into the abyss during that time period, he begins to set up his kingdom on the earth. And the earth promises are literal. So when God says to these false prophets, you think you're going to be leaders in Israel? I'm not going to let you be in the council of my people, nor will you be counted in the genealogy. And on top of that, you'll never go back to the land of Israel. There was a lot more than just what was going to happen right at that moment. That was an eternal damnation. Oh, but for those of us who are his people, he's going to use us what? As leaders, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. We're going to be counted as his people. We'll be in the registry, if you will. And he will give us the land. Boy, I hope you're excited about it. My daughter and I were driving to Orlando today. And as uh, we were going over, we were listening to Adrian Rogers preach. And he brought out a really good, neat point. He said that when we go through struggles in this life, they have many purposes. But one main purpose is to remind us this is not it. As I deal with sciatic nerve pain and my body struggles with trying to become comfortable, it's a reminder, this is not it. I'm not living for this world, folks. I'm living for the world to come. And Paul said, I consider that the present suffering any worth being compared with the glory to be revealed. Ezekiel goes on back to chapter 13. Look at verse 10. He goes on and Actually, God, through Ezekiel, says that whenever the people put up a wall, whenever the people of Israel actually prepared for the judgment to come, the false prophet would, prophets would whitewash it. In other words, whenever the people would actually kind of take serious the true prophet's message that a judgment was becoming because of their sin, and the people started to prepare for the judgment, what would the false prophets come up and do? But pretty it all up. Yet Jesus also talked about whitewashing the tombs as well. In other words, as they would prepare, the false prophets would come and belittle it. They'd say, let's just pretty it up. It's not that big of a deal. And then as I was studying this, something just jumped off the page. Who was the first person to do that? Who was the first person to belittle when God had spoken a warning of judgment. Satan. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Exactly. Genesis chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had, God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree, any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God had said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't die. It's not that serious. He didn't really mean it that way. For God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, 
you know what? I know what you heard. You didn't hear it quite. It's not what it really meant. And actually, we can put a spin on it, and it'll really, if you listen to me, it'll be even better. Boy, is that preaching out there today? Go to Matthew chapter 16. We got to be careful because we're all susceptible to it. As you're turning to Matthew chapter 16, let me just set the stage. What has just gone on is Jesus has asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they listed all these different people they thought he was. And he said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, full of the spirit of God, under the spirit's instruction, said to him, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Johnson, because flesh and blood has not. Simon, son of John, don't forget. Simon Johnson, don't. He says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. In other words, Peter had made his profession of his faith because Jesus then says, and I now say you are Peter. He had said before, you're Simon, but you will one day be called Peter. And when Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said, the only one that understands that is when my father's opened his eyes and given his grace. And he says, you're now Peter. Look at what happens next. Look at chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter even, having been given righteousness within minutes, allowed Satan to speak through him when he spoke out of what his flesh wanted versus what the word of God had been saying all along. Had it not already said hundreds of years before in Isaiah 53 that he must be crucified? He must be crushed for our sins? Hadn't the prophecies all along said it? Hadn't Jesus been telling them all along, here's what's going to happen? But Peter let Satan speak through him. And he said, not gonna, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to take the rough road. Let's, let's just let's whitewash it a little bit. And we got to be real careful. Go to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. Look at verses 10 through 15. To whom shall I speak and give warning? that they may hear. Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. Pour it out upon the children in the street and upon the gathering of young men also. Both husband and wife shall be taken, the elderly and the very aged. Their house, houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abominations? No, were they, not, they were not at all ashamed. They didn't know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time when I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. If at that time... When the judgment of God was coming on the nation of Israel at the time we're studying here in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and so on. If at that time false preachers rose up and said, not going to be that bad. He didn't really mean it that way. Guys, it, it can be, it, it, just relax. It's all going to be good. Will Satan not also do the same thing in these last days 
right before the judgment of the whole world? And he will, and he is. How are we going to know? How are we going to know? Who's preaching truth? Who's preaching falsehood? You need to know the word. Remember the two things we talked about last week? Does what they say match up with the whole of Scripture? And at the same time, does what they say actually come true? Go back to Jeremiah, sorry, Ezekiel chapter 13. I think we're going to have time to finish this up. We're going to do it fast. But I, I'm not going to spend too, too much time on the rest of this chapter. Um, but I want to, to read it to you because it's kind of interesting. Ezekiel 13, verse 17 to the end of the chapter. says, And you, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people. This is the women now. Who prophesy out of their own hearts. Prophesy against them and say, Thus says the Lord God. Woe to the women who sew magic bands upon all wrists and make veils for the heads of persons and of every stature in the hunt for souls. Will you hunt down souls belonging to my people and keep your own souls alive? You have profaned me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, putting to death souls who should not die and keeping alive souls who should not live by your lying to my people, you who, who listen to lies. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against your magic bands with which you hunt the souls like birds. And I will tear them from your arms, and I will let souls from who, the souls whom you hunt go free, the souls like birds. Your veils also I will tear off and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall be no more in your hand as prey. And you shall know that I am the Lord, because you have disheartened the righteous falsely, although I have not grieved him. And you have encouraged the wicked that he should not turn from his evil way to save his life. Therefore you shall no more see false visions nor practice divination, I will deliver my people out of your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, interestingly enough, now God speaks through Ezekiel to the women who were doing this. See, we've assumed all along that these false prophets were men, and most of them were, but there were false prophets also among them who were women. Now, because of the depth of this topic, I don't have time tonight to get into what the whole of Scripture has to say about women's role when it comes to leading the church and preaching and teaching. I'm going to give you a Reader's Digest version. I thought about taking a break from our Ezekiel study for next week and just spending the time breaking down the whole of Scripture as to women's roles in Israel and in the church and God's purpose for them. And if I feel like God wants me to, we may go there next week. Because it may be valuable for us to have the whole of Scripture speak to us because there's a lot of confusion when it comes to this. And in these last days, we need to know what the whole of Scripture says. So with that in mind, you may get a study next week on what God's role is according to the whole of Scripture for women. I can see in your face, you're kind of excited and kind of scared at the same time. But at the same time, I'll let God show me whether or not we're just continuing Ezekiel or we're going to take a detour on that. But let me just give you the Reader's Digest version. Actually, if you go back and look at Isaiah and the book of Amos... God actually spoke through Isaiah and Amos against the women as well. But this is the first time that they're actually described as being prophets and false prophets. We know in the book of Revelation chapter 2 verses 18 through 29, we don't have time to turn there. But if you were to go look at Revelation chapter 2 verses 18 through 29 in his message to the church at Thyatira, there was a woman in that church who was prophesying and teaching everybody and leading them into sexual immorality. Her name was Jezebel. And he says, I've warned Jezebel to stop what she's doing. And since she's not going to, I'm going to bring judgment on her. There was a prophetess in the church. 
Actually, all through the scriptures, you'll see every now and then, on certain occasions, God would raise up women to speak and to lead. There are those who try to take the passage where Paul says, women should not be allowed to speak in the church. Well, that can't mean that they could never speak. I remember when I was in seminary, and whenever we would have, we'd have chapel every day around lunchtime, and I'd be in class in the morning, but there was this big courtyard where all the classrooms were all around, and you could always know when there was going to be a woman who was going to speak at chapel at New Orleans Seminary, because the same guy would stand out in the middle of the courtyard with his King James Bible open and just read the same verse over and over. I do not permit women to speak in the church. And we would all go, woman speaking at chapel today. But actually, here's the problem. You can't just take one verse and say women should never be allowed to speak in the church because in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, when a woman prophesies in church, she needs to do it with her head covered. So the Bible teaches that women are allowed to speak in the church. I believe the Bible teaches very clearly that women aren't to have the role of authority, of leadership over the church. But women have shepherding gifts. Women have been given pastoral gifts. That doesn't mean they get the role. But they actually, at the same time, are to shepherd the groups that God has them shepherd. Folks, as you use the whole of Scripture together, you will see that there was a time when God would, there were no men who would rise up, and He rose up Deborah to lead the nation of Israel as a judge. There are going to be times that He'll do that because of the men who aren't walking in obedience. But at the same time, you've got to be real careful, ladies. Because what is the problem that you have as a woman traced all the way back to Genesis? You're going to want to usurp the role that God has given the man, and you're going to want to control him. When it says your desire is going to be for the man, it's not talking about, oh, I'm going to love him. No, that same word desire is in chapter 4 when God comes to Cain and says, watch out. Sin desires to control you. By the way, we don't know what that desire is. It wants to have mastery. And one of the problems is women, because of the fall, want to be in charge. We call it nagging sometimes. Does the Bible say that women can never, ever speak in the church and can never preach a message or teach a word? No, the Bible doesn't say that. They are allowed to in the proper setting when God has worked it out. And when they do prophesy in the church, they need to do it with their head covered. It doesn't mean they have to have a doily on their head. It means that they actually need to be under the authority of the men in the church who have given permission. Years ago, I was preaching in Thailand. I don't know, it's been seven or eight years ago now. And I was speaking before 200 pastors in, at a Bible conference center in Thailand. And for the whole week, I was preaching. But you know what? 80% of all the pastors there were women. There was a real problem in Thailand where men were not interested in things of God. And there were some women that were fulfilling a role that needed to be fulfilled because men would not fill it. Yet at the same time, most of those ladies were not there because God had called them. They were there because they wanted to be in the council of God's people. And I told them by the end of the week, if they would just throughout the week, write down a question and put it in this box. On the last day of the conference, I will answer every question that they have. One of the questions that came up was, what is God's role for women in the church? And should they be pastors? And now I'm standing before 200 people, 80% of them women with their guns drawn pretty much. And I had to preach and teach the whole of the Word of God through a translator. Now, interestingly enough, my translator was a woman. 
a godly young lady in her early 20s who just knew the Lord and loved the Lord and had an insight and a wisdom that was unbelievable. And as I tried to teach, and then she would translate, and then I tried to teach some more and she would translate, I could see on the faces of all these people that they were not quite getting it because it's a deep concept. It's a deep subject. And to get a full understanding, you've got to use all of the verses, not just a couple. And because I wasn't doing the greatest job of getting it across and it was becoming obvious, the lady whispered to me, would you mind if I took this? She said, I know where you're going. I agree. Let me just do this. I said, thank you very much. Because now it's like, hey, she said it, not me, you know. But uh, actually, told you I fear man. But uh, that, that was a room full of women at the time. But she then just took the microphone and she stood up. And I don't know what she said. But I could see it on their faces. The Spirit of God bringing understanding across the room. And when it was over, there was understanding and many of those women came forward at the conclusion to resign their role because God had not called them. Are we to say women should never? No, no. The Bible's very clear that women are to teach and lead, but under the authority of the leaders of the church, who should be the men, and at the same time, they should not be the one in charge over everybody. God has a role for men and a role for women, and it's been all the way back since the beginning. People have said, well, the only reason God chose, uh, Jesus chose men to be uh, his 12 apostles and not women is because the culture of his day would not have allowed it. Listen closely to what you believe when you just say those things. You just said that Almighty God was manipulated by the culture of his day. You know Jesus full well. He was not manipulated by the culture of his day because the culture of his day said that you don't go through Samaria. The culture of his day said you don't talk to a woman. And he went out of his way to go into Samaria to talk to a woman. Jesus went against the culture of his day, but he intentionally chose men. God's design is that the men be the leaders in the church. But that does not mean that women should never teach or preach or shepherd in the areas that they've been gifted. And that's why we need to understand the whole of Scripture to build our biblical understanding. And in this instance here, God said to the false prophetesses who had risen up and who wanted to be in the leadership of Israel and were teaching false things, he said, I'm paying attention to you too, ladies. So I say to you women here as well, be careful. Just because you see something doesn't mean God wants you to speak to it. There's going to be times that he will use you. And I'll be honest with you, having been married for 27 years, by this, this July it'll be 27 years, many a time has God made a change in my life through my wife as she has said, can we talk about something? But I also have a wife who has prayed about it many, many, many days and months and weeks and years sometimes before she ever brings it up. And when she brings it up, it's because God led her to. And God speaks through her. Are women not to have any role in the church when it comes that way? Oh, no, no. They have roles. They have gifts. We have to be real careful that we don't put them beyond what the Scripture says. But we also have to be careful that we don't shut them down and not let them use what God's gifted them to do. Yes, sir. I don't know that, but most likely would. But hey, if you remember, there were some uh, in the New Testament, there were some people who had four daughters and they were prophetesses. That doesn't mean that they were the leader of the church, but they were gifted in preaching. Hey, some of the greatest preachers and teachers around, K. Arthur and others, are women. But they also understand their role. 
I think I'm not going to go into that next week because I think I gave you everything you need to know in that Reader's Digest version. I would have then in our study showed you all the scriptures, but I quoted them enough to you that you can go double check me and please do. Here's how we're going to close tonight. And I want you to listen closely. This is very important. I touched on it all throughout our study, but I want to lay it home scripturally. The way that we know whether or not someone's preaching and teaching is false is, does what they say match up with the whole of God's word? Or do they take a concept and twist God's word? Remember that what Jesus, we saw Satan do? Did he really say it that way? What he really meant was, and I'm just going to touch on one subject in the time we have left. We just got a couple of minutes. But folks, we're seeing it across the globe and unfortunately here in America as well. And I'm going to keep saying it, even though it may be illegal to say it. In days to come, it may be. We don't know. But there are preachers out there today and churches who pride themselves on the fact that they teach that homosexuality is not a sin, and it's okay with God. Oh, they'll whitewash it, and they'll pretty it up, and they'll say, well, Jesus loved everybody. And what he really meant was, no, the Bible's very, very clear, folks. I mean, it's, it's not gray. It's one of those black and white issues. That doesn't mean that we aren't to reach out to them in love. Remember how Jesus treated the woman who was caught in the act of adultery? We'd all agree that was a sin, right? But he didn't condemn her. He reached out to her in love and offered her, don't sin like that anymore. We need to be reaching out in love to those who are struggling in this area. By the way, when people say, well, how can I be guilty of it? I was born that way. Listen, we're all born with a desire to sin in one way or another. Some are born with a desire for alcohol. Some are born, hey guys, in the room here, I know I'm not alone, but aren't many of us in the room born with a desire to see women naked that aren't our spouses? Is that not something that we struggle with? Can we just say, hey, I was born this way, it's okay? No. We're all born with a tendency to sin. It came from Adam. But at the same time, in these days, there will rise up many, and it's happening across the globe, and unfortunately, rampantly in America. There are going to be those who rise up and say, did God really say that that was wrong? And I've seen too many Christians, listen closely, and I'm going to say Christians because I hope and I believe they really are Christians, and maybe they're not. I don't know. Time will tell, and that's not for me to call. But I've seen many a Christian change their view of what God said because it started to happen in their family. And they couldn't wrestle with the two, and they chose to go with family versus God. We've just studied today how God feels about that. Oh, I thank God that I'm going to be counted in the genealogy of the righteous. I thank God that I'm his treasured possession. And I thank God for each of you as well. And I thank God that I don't have to help you be able to handle these issues on a daily basis. The spirit of God within you will. All I'm to do is give you food. You and the Lord go chew on it. And until then, we'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.